Hey there, everyone. Greg Schutz here for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready For The Draft podcast, episode 16. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're probably uh, a week or two behind schedule in uh, bringing episode 16 to you. Why is that? Well, um, let's talk about uh, about injuries, injured reserve, uh, if you will. Uh, I was actually out on vacation out in Southern California with my wife, uh, visiting family. And decided I uh, we would go work out near the beach, Inspiration Point in Corona del Mar. If you know where that's at, uh, scenic landscape. Uh, you know the the beach down below, and a hill that really you, know, you walk down the the hill. There, about halfway down, you've got this nice uh, view and vantage point to overlook the the beach and the ocean, and just gorgeous landscape. And this was a a hill that I would run. You know, it's paved, and I used to run that hill all the time in my 20s. I enjoyed running that hill. Gosh, I, you know, at one point, I think I was going down there every weekend and, and running the hill. And I wanted to take my wife out there and let her experience the, the hill, if you will. And got out there and, you know, realized rather quickly that uh, I'm not in my 20s anymore. Um, Ultimately, you know, thought I had ruptured my Achilles, Um, you know, was taking a, you know, about three steps up the second half of that hill. The incline uh, gets to be pretty steep and uh, took about three steps. And when they talk about feeling a pop, this felt like you know, definitely a, a pop, maybe even more than that. It felt like a, like a, an M80 or a firecracker went off right behind my leg. And, and honestly, I was hoping that my wife had kicked me in in my leg and, and that was what it was and that was what I was feeling. But it, it definitely was not the case. Um, you know, I, I hit the ground and uh, clearly, you know, I knew something was wrong with my Achilles. It was just how bad. Uh, luckily... You know, the, the, the tear was up by the calf muscle, um, so no surgery was needed. That was great. Uh, originally, we thought that uh, might have ruptured. X-ray, uh, X-ray showed that there was a piece of bone that was pulled away, and, uh, you know, I, I was really worried about that because I know in terms of surgery and reattaching that to the to the heel, that, that could really prolong the, uh, the healing process. Well, uh, you know, come to find out that bone that they were seeing in there that was likely from an old ankle injury. You know, I've, I've rolled and, and sprained ankles, you know, throughout my my athletic career. Um, so I, I think that was probably from from one of those ankle injuries uh, back in the day. Um, so ultimately, you know, long story short, with that, um, you know, it was it was a tear up by the by the calf muscle and. Uh, you know, that happened on on the 27th of December. I'm still sitting here in a, in a splint, but good news is I get to see the doctor on Tuesday. I'll get fitted for a walking boot. And, uh, you know, that that boot will have kind of a, a high heel to it. I'll actually be out walking on it. Um, you know, it, it's amazing. Um, you know, they, they, the medicine now, they, they look at the, the Achilles injury and, um, you know, it, it's better off, you know, if you get on your feet and actually that helps with the rehab process and strengthening that tendon. And, uh, ultimately over time, 
I'll have some foam spacers in there and, and I'll be able to pull out the spacers one at a time. That'll actually lower that heel down to the ground over time. And so what that'll do obviously is it'll it'll strengthen and, and stretch out that, that Achilles tendon. All total, you know, I'm probably looking at about a year's worth of, of recovery to get back to as 100% as, as I want to be uh, or as close to 100% as I want to be. Um, you know, my, my doctor is already reminding me that uh, even the likes of uh, of Kobe Bryant, uh, Dominique Wilkins, Isaiah Thomas, all of whom you know sustained those those uh, Achilles injuries at the tail end of their careers, you know, they were never able to quite get back to you know the the athlete that they were uh, prior to the injury. So um, you know I, I have to make sure that I, I'm mindful of that. I also have to make sure that I don't try to go too fast too soon. You know, I, I know that from a recovery standpoint, you have to listen to the doctor. You have to listen to your body. And uh, I have to make sure that uh, the physical therapy as I go through it, I've heard that it's it's rather painful at times. But uh, honestly, at, at this point, you know, if I can actually be up and walking on it, like I said within a couple of weeks on that boot, you know, I start off with, with crutches to kind of uh, distribute my weight so I'm not really in a ton of pain as I'm walking on it. But within a couple of weeks, I'll be walking without any pain. And the weirdest thing about this injury, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, is the, the lack of overall pain that I'm actually feeling. You know, I'll, I'll be, you know, it's more the discomfort of being in the splint right now. And I think anyone who's ever broken a bone, had to deal with the cast or a splint or anything like that, uh, knows what I'm talking about. It's one of those things. It's just it's so constricting and um, you know trying to get comfortable, find, you know trying to find a way to position my foot, position my heel, position things, and and to actually get that to you know to, to get comfortable. And it's just it's it's so difficult to be able to do that, um, you know. But for the most part, it's it doesn't really hurt. I think the biggest thing is is it's just this constant cramp in my calf and it's different you know varying levels of of the cramp but you know when it comes on uh usually if i'm in a seated position like i am right now um you know it will come on and will actually cramp up a little bit and I'll, i'll feel it in there um but if i'm laying down or i have it fully extended on the couch um i really don't feel any pain at all i don't feel it and uh i think that's probably the best news possible for me but the craziest thing was the doctor took off the splint, you know, when I went to the ER out in California and uh, asked me to step on the gas, you know, push down on the gas with with my right foot because it is my right foot and uh, my foot wouldn't move. So then I thought, well, let me try it with my left foot to make sure that everything's working right. And yes, of course, my left foot went all the way down to the floor. So again, I tried and tried and tried and my foot just would not move so obviously telltale sign that you know there is an achilles tear it's not just a calf tear or anything like that mri ultimately revealed that it was a uh, indeed an achilles tear and not, and not a calf um so you know that's really where where i'm at right now um you know and I'll, I'll say this you know you, you never realize you know you take for granted a, a lot of things um, you know, right now there's not a whole lot that I'm able to really do. I'm not very mobile. Um, you know, and my wife has been a godsend, you know, she's been able to to take care of me. Um, you know, really no questions asked, um, you know, whatever I need, it's always been there. So, um, can't thank her enough. 
love her so much. Uh, love you, Deborah. Thank you for taking care of me. Um, so that's kind of what I've been dealing with. And, and it's kind of set me back a little bit, you know, obviously in, in terms of being able to break down game film, especially in the bowl season. And I've said, you know, bowl season is my favorite time of year, 41 bowls and getting to see all of those teams in action. Um, you know, it's one of my favorite times of year. So, you know, needless to say, you know, an injury like this, that's really one of the only things that could really take me away from being able to break down the game film and, and move things forward. So playing a little bit of catch up, but, uh, you know, I'm, I think I've got, you know, quite a bit here together to go ahead and kind of start taking a look at, uh, some of our, our prospects through the, the bowl season, uh, if, if you will. So we're going to kind of take a look at, you know, who really stood out during the bowl, uh, during all the bowls. And, uh, you know, the, then this next week, because it's, this is recording, uh, Sunday night, um, you know, obviously Monday, uh, players have to, um, underclassmen have until the, uh, the 14th, which is tomorrow, Monday, uh, to file their declaration papers with, uh, the NFL. And then the list of, of the underclassmen accepted by the NFL will be released to, to the NFL teams on January 18th. Um, but what we're going to do is, is we, since we know that they have until the 14th to declare, what uh, we'll be doing is later on this week, I want to take a look at all of the players who are intending to enter the draft early and really just kind of take a look at what that does to the landscape in, in college football. Um, or I'm sorry, really for the draft, um, a little bit on college football as well. What does that do? Um, you know, right now, Alabama is sitting there with, uh, you know, seven players that have declared, um, you know, what does that do for, for them? You know, we'll look at, at what that does, you know, obviously for, for Bama, you know, are they reloading? You know, is this going to be something that's going to hinder them? You know, a team like Florida right now, they have five guys that have declared. You look at some of the positions, you know, Ja'Kai Polite, uh, the defensive end. Um, you know, you've got uh, Jabari Zuniga, um, who's likely coming back, um, you know, to fill in that void there. Vashawn Le- uh, Joseph leaving that linebacker position. But you also have uh, sitting there, uh, David Reese in the middle, you know, Jordan Scarlett taking off, uh, the right, uh, the running back, but, uh, obviously you've got Michael Pirine and then, uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. There are a lot of safeties there for Florida, so they can kind of reload and retool a little bit there. Um, but really what we want to do is take a look at the landscape for the NFL draft, what that does, who are the guys that are coming out. I really wanted to kind of hold off on, um, looking at the quarterback position until guys started really declaring because it, it, it was the ever-changing landscape there with a lot of the different quarterbacks who was committing uh, to coming out, who was staying. And, uh, you know, that really affects, you know, draft position and really kind of uh, affects my my dialogue. So I really wanted to hold off on the quarterback position because that was a lot uh, more difficult to project. Uh, now that we know that Justin Herbert is coming back to Oregon, um, you know, and I agree with that, you know, under 60% completion percentage for the year, um, you know, really 
you know, down the stretch, struggled mightily um, you know, with, with throwing the football. And, and a lot had to do with losing Panay Sewell, the left tackle, you know, Calvin Throckmorton, uh, you know, a name to watch out for um, in terms of offensive line prospects for the 2020 draft. He moved from right tackle to left tackle, but I think that right tackle position um, really struggled, um, you know, with, with Throckmorton moving over to the left side. Um, you know, and you know that that Red Box Bowl seven to six final, not really the way that he would want to finish things out. Um, so I think at the end of the day, you know, I thought that was the right decision with him coming uh, back to Eugene. Dwayne Haskins, on the other hand, is entering the draft. You know, and we'll, we'll talk about him here in just a minute with with the performance there at the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, there really wasn't anything else for him to do. And you know, after Mitchell Trubisky, you know, and if you listen to me talk last year. Um, you know, I, I, you know, and, and the year before that, um, in my, my, my mock draft, you know, I talked about Mitchell Trubisky in only one year, um, you know, at, at the quarterback position and, you know, look, you know, it, it's one of those things to where, um, it, it is kind of a crapshoot. What are you going to get? Um, is it going to be another Achilles Smith or is it going to be a Mitchell Trubisky? And it's one of those things to where, uh, at the end of the day, if there is the talent and the talent is there and it's jumping off the off the tape, and you know Dwayne Haskins down the stretch, especially when that running game uh, was rather non-existent, they made Ohio State more one-dimensional. You really saw Dwayne Haskins open up the playbook, throw the ball down the football field, and you really got to see uh, everything, all of his tools on display. At that point, I became a believer and said, you know what, this is a guy who should come out. Um, you know, Mitchell Trubisky, you know, he's, he's come out, took him a year to get going, but now in his, uh, his second year, able to lead the Bears into the playoffs. Uh, you know, Daniel Jones, another quarterback who's decided to enter the draft. Um, you know, that, that one makes sense to me as well. He's had some big games. Uh, David Cutcliffe, you know, leading the way. You know, I talked about how, uh, you know, in, in the last podcast about Daniel Jones and if he were to come back, that development from his junior to senior season, we saw that with both Peyton and Eli Manning undercut Cliff, and I think you'd see more of the same there with Daniel Jones. But um, you know, he's had some huge games, and he really punctuated that with a huge win over Temple in the uh, Independence Bowl. You know, we'll talk about the bowl a little bit more here in just a moment. But uh, you know, Daniel Jones, you know, you had Drew Locke, Will Greer, Ryan Finley, you know, really, um, you know, in a group. You know, to to themselves, um, right there. You know, three, four, five receiver or quarterbacks. But then you have Jarrett Stidham, who did decide to come out. I didn't didn't agree with that move. Also, didn't agree with Tyree Jackson coming back or declaring for the draft. I would have liked to have seen Tyree come back for one more year. I think the fact that Buffalo had such a huge year um, played a lot into that. Um, but. You know, with the running game, with the the two freshman running backs, Marks and, and Patterson, you know, I thought it would have been a good move for him to come back, especially with the rapport that he's built with KJ Osborne, the receiver there, who's going to be a draft prospect in, in next year's draft. Um, I would have liked to have seen him do that. Um, as it stands, I've got him as my number seven rated quarterback. So, you know, would it you know does it pay off for him to enter the draft? That's going to be a really big question mark. But the biggest question mark of all at the quarterback position is. What is Kyler Murray going to do? Uh, the Oklahoma standout, you know, he, number nine overall pick of the Oakland Athletics in the Major League Baseball draft. 
um, you know, came out and had a, a banner year there for Oklahoma. You know, one year removed from Baker Mayfield setting the the world on fire as a Heisman Trophy winner, taking him to the college football playoff before getting knocked off. Uh, you know, in 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 that overtime by by Georgia. But uh, you know, Kyler Murray, when you're talking about a player, you know, how do you you know, the encore there, how do you really up one up Baker Mayfield? And really, Kyler Murray was able to do that. You know, 5'10", 195-pound redshirt junior, you know, transferred from Texas A&M, sat behind Baker Mayfield, and in his first year, uh, a 96 quarterback rating. I mean, that's the highest um, ever in, in the 15 years of that stat. I mean, when you think about that, that's incredible. All the different quarterbacks um, that have come through the last 15 years, and Kyler Murray with the highest uh, QBR of any quarterback. Obviously, a big reason he was a 2018 Heisman Trophy winner, um, you know, beating out Tua Tagovailoa and Dwayne Haskins. Uh, you know, t- 69% completion percentage. You know, four, uh, over 4,000 yards, 4,361 to be exact. Um, you know, over 11 yards per attempt. Uh, 42 touchdowns, seven interceptions. You know, this was a guy who was just making plays all over the field, and then just being such a dynamic runner as well. Um, you know, uh, 7.2 yards per carry ended up eclipsing the, the thousand yard mark. 12 touchdowns there as well. Uh, just really a, a game breaker. You saw the athleticism, and, and you watched the way that he he would throw the football on the run. You know, really a baseball player uh, in a lot of a lot of respects with the way that he was making those throws on the run. Reminded you a lot of you know him in the outfield for uh, for the Sooners, cutting loose with the football. Um, you know, against Bama. You know, he was making throws, you know, a bullet to, to Grand Calcaterra up the seam, um, you know, really just over Shaheen Carter, uh, you know, the, the, the defensive back, um, putting it where only his receiver could get to it, uh, a back shoulder throw, um, you know, put it away from the, from the cornerback where only his receiver could get to it, um, you know, does a really good job reading reading defenses, and you know, and I thought that was something that was really uh, impressive. You know, he was able to step up, avoid Jennings coming him off the edge, um, threw off a of one foot, fifty five yards in the air for a touchdown. Um, you know, to to Charleston Rambo. You know, got over the top of uh, of the safety. Um, and when you're talking about the arm strength, the athleticism, the speed, you know, he talks about how he thinks that uh, in our foot race between him and Marquise Hollywood Brown, he thinks he can beat Marquise in a, in a 40 time. And, uh, you know, said Marquise with that, that track speed could probably get him in the 100 meters. But, you know, Kyler Murray, um, you know, said that uh, he thinks he might be able to take him in a 40 uh, in in the forty, and when you watch the uh, the acceleration to get to the second level, it, it's it's off the charts. Um, you know, just the decision making overall, the way that he's able to see the field. Um, to me, Kyler Murray, yes, he's he's one of those undersized quarterbacks, but again, Baker Mayfield, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, they've all been proven uh, to be able to you know cut loose with the football down the field, be able to make the right decisions, and uh, you know that athleticism. You know, look, Kyler Murray, he's not just a guy who's going to make plays outside the pocket. You know, I thought that that was where he really thrived, kept the eyes down the football field, and, uh, you know, made the right decision. 
you know, this guy never gets rattled, um, you know, when he's outside the pocket, but when he's in the pocket, able to make throws down the football field. And I think that deep ball accuracy was really evident throughout the season. You saw that against Alabama. Obviously, you know, the Sooners getting down early to the to, to Alabama, uh, tried to fight back, ultimately, you know, going down to the defeat. But it was one of those things that it was just a lot of fun to watch uh, Kyler Murray lead the team back. Um He's got a big decision to make. You know, there are rumors that are coming out. You know, you've seen a lot of the Bleacher reports uh, indicating that he wants up to 15 million from the A's or he's going to enter the draft. A lot of lot of money that's potentially on the line there. Obviously, he's you know 4.6 million from the A's, um, but if he enters the draft, you know, um, with the NFL. You know, what type of of you know amount is he going to be receiving in terms of you know the, the the signing bonus and then what type of contract is he going to be receiving? You know when you think about Tim Tebow when he was there with with the Denver Broncos. You know Tim Tebow it was drafted in the first round, and uh, trying to pull up Tim's stats here. So let's see. You know, played three three seasons in the league, you know, 2010 um, through 2012, and uh, let's see here. If we look at it, so the 25th overall pick in the 2010 draft, and if I were to look at contract wise see if i can pull this up here so kind of bear with me here see what we can pull up but you know really what you're talking about is is even if kyler murray doesn't um doesn't succeed um in 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 football if you were to come and enter the draft you know you look at what tim tebow was able to do um you know he brought in um let's see ultimately total cash in his three seasons you know, 10 million, you know, right then and there, you know, obviously with a salary structure, it's a little bit different now, but you're talking about $10 million, um, you know, in three years, you know, in the league. And then he's still able to go out and play, uh, play football. I'm sorry, play baseball. And that's what he's doing now with, uh, with the New York Mets. And, uh, you know, I, I think for Kyler Murray, what he has to decide is, you know, he can sit there and play football. Now, again, there's a big issue, you know, a big, uh, risk in terms of ultimately does he run the risk of of getting hurt and uh, potentially not being able to play play baseball but uh you know what there's also the option you look at Dion you look at Bo is he going to try to work out a way to play both sports you know it's not the first time that it's happened um and you know it's one of those things to where you know, are the A's going to be flexible enough to allow him to be able to do that? And would the NFL be flexible enough to do that? Obviously, you've got the uh, the A's there in Oakland. Um, you know, what what happens? Where would you know Kyler Murray end up? Um, you know, if the Raiders ultimately decide that they want to you know make a move and, and move on from Derek Carr, obviously they're in Oakland for another year, and then they move to uh, to Las Vegas. That could potentially be an option, but you know, if you're looking at uh, you know Jacksonville or possibly Detroit 
if uh, you know things don't work out with Matthew Stafford, um, you know the New York Giants, you know just logistically that's not going to work out. So um, you know it's one of those things to where you know Kyler Murray has a big decision to make, and uh, you know if I'm looking at it for him, honestly, you know it's it, it's something to where um, you know I wouldn't be surprised if he if he uh, doesn't enter. You know, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't enter the NFL draft, uh, just based on the fact that, you know, that that window is so small, and you know the amount of money that he can make in a short period of time with that rookie contract um, has to be um, weighing on his mind, especially considering when you look at you know the um, the A's and the the length of time to really see that money, um, you know having to get to the big show he's going to be in in rookie ball you know you've got a double a triple a um you know before you actually even get to the majors to really see um you know that type of money obviously he's got the signing bonus 4.6 million but uh, it's going to be a little while before he actually gets you know makes it to the show so um i I think that's something that he definitely has to consider and then once his playing days are over um in in national football league if he's young enough you know like tim tebow to be able to make that transition then uh, he can make you know go ahead and do that at that time. Um, so it's really going to be something that's going to be interesting to see uh, play out here over the next day, and uh, we'll be talking about it for sure in uh, in our next episode um, because by then we'll know exactly what uh, Kyler Murray's intentions are going to be. Um, you know, he won't be the only one that's waiting until the eleventh hour to make a decision. You know, Mac Wilson was the latest to uh, declare he and Deontay Thompson. Uh, I think we're the last two to declare um, there for Alabama, um, you know, the inside linebacker. I know Mac Wilson, his mom had come out and said that it was looking like he was going to be staying there at Alabama, um, but he's ultimately decided he is going to enter the draft. To me, when I look at my inside linebackers, um, you know, for Matt, Mac Wilson, um, you know, he's he's probably penciled in number two, number three, um, at the inside backer, you've got Devin White and Devin Bush um, in there, and I think Mac Wilson probably falls in right after that. Uh, athleticism definitely on display. Um, he was a guy that um, you know I, I thought showed flashes, you know, against Oklahoma. Um, you know, I thought he got in trouble, you know, when he was trying to tackle Kennedy Brooks a little high, and uh, Kennedy Brooks able to run through the tackle and uh, and get up the field. Um, but definitely someone who can play in space, um, does a great job in coverage. I think he's got the speed to get to the sideline, shoots gas very well. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought was really impressive in the national title game against Clemson, you know, he, he used his speed, um, to really take away the edge, um, for the running back ultimately was able to allow, um, you know, the other defenders to rally and, and ultimately make a play, um, you know, but he is very, you know, he can be over aggressive at times and, uh, you know, the eyes, you know, he'll, he'll react a little bit too quickly. And, uh, there was a screen to, to Tavion Feaster overran it, um, and then got, you know, basically ran himself into a block and, uh, Feaster was able to cut off that and make a big play out of it. Um, but I, I honestly think the athleticism and the tools that he has, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he runs well at the combine as well. Um, you know, that's really what's going to set him apart from some of those other guys. You have TJ Edwards, who's instinctive, Dakota Allen, 
um, you know, another guy. And then you have, you know, volume tackler Ben Burkirvan in there. David Long Jr. from West Virginia declared for the draft, as did, like I said earlier, Vashon Joseph, two guys that are very athletic, kind of the new age uh, linebacker flying all around, making plays all over the field. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where he does fall, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if um, you know he doesn't run faster than Edwards and Allen. And then um, you know, in terms of the uh, some of the instincts and being able to play, you know, three downs, you know, that that's really where I think he's going to set himself apart. Um, you know, he his size. You know, I think he's got a little bit you know better size than than Joseph Long or uh, Burke Hervin. Um, so that's really where I think you're going to see him more than likely be a first round pick when it's all said and done. So who else stood out in this bowl season? Obviously, Quinn and Williams. Everyone knows that this guy uh, is a force of nature. You know, 6'4", 295 pounds, a redshirt sophomore. Um, I think what was on display um, against both OU and Clemson was just that that quick first step, that initial quickness, um, you know, the ability to to shoot gaps, beat his man off the ball. You know, he's attacking, you know, half a man. And honestly, you know, if, if you're trying to block this guy with just, you know, just half of you, um, you know, good luck because uh, this is a guy, you know, the quickness and the speed to power, able to really drive his man into the backfield as well. You know, you saw that, you know, on display, um, you know, time and time again. And, uh, you know, John Simpson, Ben, uh, you know, for, for Clemson and, and uh, um, Falsinelli, the, the center, Justin Falsinelli, they were they had their hands full the entire game. You know, Quinton, Quinton Williams or Quinton Williams is, is a guy who uh, affects every single play. You know, this is a guy who, you know, with that burst up the field, you know, he disrupts run plays before they get going. You know, he is arriving into the backfield just after the mesh point. And uh, you know, even if he's not making the tackle, he's spilling that run play to a, to a linebacker who's able to go ahead and make a big play on the on the football. Um, about as disruptive a, a defensive lineman as I've seen in quite some time. And yes, there is a chance that Quinton William uh, Quinton Williams could be um, the first overall pick. Is it going to happen? Not likely. You know, Arizona, if they do keep the pick, um, you know, I. I'd, venture to guess that Nick Bosa would be uh, the number one overall pick. But, uh, you know, the way that you have Quinn and Williams inside, um, you know, to be so disruptive, uh, I would not uh, put it past uh, a team looking to get up and, and take a guy like Quinn and Williams, a guy who can affect both the pass and the run, um, a three-down guy in there, and, uh, you know, very rare that you see a guy that's that's able to affect the plays like that. You know, when you're talking about a guy like Aaron Donald, who is likely going to be the defensive player of the year yet again, uh, you know, 20 and a half sacks, you know, the ability to just disengage and, and get up the field, the quickness, the power, bench pressing his guy and driving him back into the backfield. You see a lot of that with Quinn and Williams, obviously not the same body type, but, uh, you know, the same effectiveness getting up the field. Um, you know, he was definitely on display. Um, you know, one of the, you know, the most fun matchups was Jonah Williams and, uh, and, and Cleveland Furl. Um, of Clemson in the national title game. You watch these two guys go back 
and forth. Um, just tremendous athletes. You know, obviously both are going to be first round picks. Cleon Furl, I have him number two behind Nick Bosa at my defensive ends. And uh, Jonah Williams, that's my number one offensive tackle. Now look, Jonah Williams, you know, 6'5", 301 pounds. Uh, the, the junior doesn't have ideal length with his arms. You know, I, I think you kind of see that um, when when he has that, that those arms extended. But very intelligent um, offensive tackle. Uh, the, the, the ability to... Uh, slide that kick slide so quick, effortless, able to beat uh, Cleveland Furrow off off the edge to that point. Um, you know, I, I thought that you know that handwork was 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 superb as well. Anytime Cleveland Furrow tried to go after his hands, he'd reset and get those hands right underneath the pad level. Um, you know, so I thought that that was tremendous as well. Um, you know, Cleveland Furrow got his uh, his chances as well. You know, don't don't. Uh, um, don't think that it was all Jonah Williams because, you know, Cleveland Furl, when he got his hands uh, inside, you know, he would extend those arms and he uses those long arms to his advantage. And while, you know, there were times where Jonah Williams was able to sit down and, uh, you know, and, and stay stay underneath that and, and really be able to mirror him, you know, he definitely used those arms to keep Williams off of his body. He'd extend his arm right into the chest of uh, Jonah Williams as he was turning the corner. You saw the flexibility there from Cle- uh, from Furl being able to uh, get low, use that uh, uh, that low center of gravity. You know when he's able to to bend and turn around the corner. Um, really an exciting matchup, and really when you're looking at guys athletes that are playing at such a high level, um, going head to head. Um, you know, it's really something that you can see those guys going at it at the next level. And I, I'm sure that that's, this isn't going to be the last um, that we see of the two of them going head to head. Now, obviously, you also have Christian Wilkins. Um, you know, he was another guy who was tremendously effective there against Alabama. Uh, four tackles on the day, um, you know, a half sack and a, a tackle for loss. You know, just nonstop motor with, with Christian Wilkins. This was a guy, you know, just always seemed to be going after the quarterback. He'd get double teams, would split the double team. You know, he'd sometimes shoot past the quarterback and get up the field and, uh, you know, work back to get to the quarterback who's stepping up in the pocket and make a play. Um, you know, a guy who would chase the running back down the line of scrimmage. Um, he's really someone who I think is versatile. I think he's very scheme versatile. Uh, someone who I think can play... Um, you know, five technique and a 34 defense. You know, I think he can also play with his hand in the dirt, um, you know, inside at defensive tackle. Um, really uses that speed to his advantage. That first step quickness is really um, what you see out of him. You know, not the not the strongest guy in the world. Um, you know, and, and I think there are times where he does get overpowered, but he uses that, that, that quickness and uh, that, that motor to really um, continue to make plays. And this is a guy who's, you know, he's also... <laughs> Very intelligent, um, you know, 3.0 GPA in every semester there at Clemson. Won the Campbell Award, um, you know, for his, his academics. You know, just somebody who, you know, 41 tackles for loss in his career, 18 sacks. Um, another guy, when I'm looking for somebody who I want to take in the first round, is he a guy who can uh, be a three-down defender? You know, or am I going to have to take him out when, you know, I'm passing situations? Is he going to be, you know, a two-down run guy? 
Um, you know, what am I what am I looking for here? And he's someone who I think can be versatile if you decide that you want to flip flop and you know between a, a four three and a three four. You know, he gives you some of that versatility to play inside outside. And uh, I'm higher on Christian Wilkins than a lot of people. A lot of people have him a lot further down in their their list um, of defensive tackles. I actually have him sitting at number five. You know, and when you're sitting behind Quinton Williams, Ed Oliver. Jeffrey Simmons and Draymond Jones, um, you know those. He's in very good company, um, and I actually moved him ahead of Dexter Williams. Um, you know, and obviously he was the um, biggest departure from that lineup because of the fact that he was, uh, you know, suspended for the positive drug test. How's that going to affect him? Teams are going to have to to get it get in there and talk with him, you know, and really um, get down to the to the bottom of things with that test. Um, and, and really, you know, now there's that character flag, you know, that is going to probably, you know, cut into his draft stock a little bit, probably drive him down into the mid twenties. If I'm not, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes somewhere off the board there, uh, six, five, 340 pounds, um, you know, a guy who's a bit of a dancing bear on the inside moves very well for a, for a guy, his size could be a nose tackle if you wanted to in a, in a 34 defense, um, you know, can also play in the four three and uh, gets after the quarterback a little bit. So you're definitely a guy who can affect all phases of the game. Um, but teams are going to have to really do their homework with him and, and decide what they want to do. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence uh, was the MVP of that national title game. Um, you know, six six, two hundred fifteen pounds. You know, a, a guy who honestly checks off all the boxes you know he's got the the size um he's got the arm strength able to make all the throws you know the the throws to the boundary um got there on a line um from the opposite side of the field you know thrown from the far hash um you know 20 of 32 347 yards three touchdowns you know he settled down you know was a little rattled early um you know and and really bama was leading the game you know 16 14 um let's see with what about 11 minutes in uh, in the second quarter, and then Bama, you know, are really you know kind of faltered, and uh, Clemson took over down the stretch. You know, final score, you know, 44, uh, 16, and uh, you know rattled off 30 unanswered points there, and and a big reason for that was Trevor Lawrence. You know, we're going to be seeing him. You know, likely talked about as the number one overall pick in the 2021 draft. There's going to be a lot of talk there. Obviously, Tua Tagovailoa. Um, as a potential number one pick in the 2020 draft, he'll be competing with the likes of uh, of Justin Herbert there um, with with that draft. So, you know, what does that mean for for this draft? Um, you know, looking at at the landscape here, you know, especially in that national title game, one of the names that really jumps out is Josh Jacobs. He's entering the draft. He's 5'10", 216 pounds. And this is a guy who was impressed, you know, shows some exp- impressive strength, running guys over, running through tackles, um, you know, and also was able to show excellent vision to see the cutback lanes. And you want to talk about some ankle-breaking cuts. He puts his foot in the ground and is, is able to to hit that cutback lane. And uh, defenders over-pursuing, the, they think that they have a beat on him, and then he's able to change that direction. You know, at 5'10", 216 pounds, um, you know, that's... You know, that's a lot of lot of man. You know, making those cuts. Um, you know, really on a dime, and uh, not a whole lot of wear on this guy. You know, obviously when you're talking about Bama running backs, you know, really Damian Harris is the 
um, number one option there for Nick Saban. But, uh, you know, it was really Josh Jacobs, I think, is going to end up being the better pro when it's all said and done. Just 251 carries, um, 120 in this uh, in this season. Um, you know, rushed for 640 yards, 5.3 yards per carry, you know, with 11 touchdowns. Um, you know, also, you know, 48 receptions in his career there at, at Alabama. So he can be a, a weapon, be a three-down uh, running back for you. Damian Harris, conversely, 5'11", 215 pounds, same size. Um, but to me, I, I don't see as much of that shiftiness, the ability to put the foot in the ground and 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 uh, you know get to those cutback lanes. To me, he's more of a one-cut-and-go type of a guy. I was going to get north and south. You know, people are going to probably get on me a little bit because there are there is game film uh, where he's able to put his foot in the ground and and uh, make some of those cuts, make the lateral cuts, and get to the hole in a hurry. Um, but to me, when I look at Damian Harris, I think consistently, you know, he's one of those physical backs, a one cut, you know, one cut and go type of guy. And uh, you know, 477 um, carries to his career, not as much wear as some of the other guys out there. Back to back, a thousand yard rushing in uh, 2016 and 2017, 876 this year, uh, 52 receptions in his four years there at Alabama. But again, you know, when you're looking at somebody at the next level, you know, you're talking about, you know, I, I think Damian Harris would be a complimentary guy. You know, I think there is too much stiffness in his hips um, for me to really say that this is going to be someone who can be dynamic at the next level. Um, but you see that with Josh Jacobs, you know, like I said, you know, if you just put on, put on some of the game film and uh, watch the way that he runs, um, you know, just being able to cut and, 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 and juke some defenders there at the at the second level. I think that was really what stood out to me in the, in that national title game. One name, you know, we've talked about Deontay Thompson, and honestly, I thought Deontay, you know, there was a possibility that he could come back. You know, this was someone who started off the year very hot. Um, you know, in you know September and uh, you know in October, he was really having a, a great year. You know, and I thought that he put a lot of bad tape together as the year went on. Um, you know, you saw him ha- have a pass thrown over the over the top to to T Higgins, a 62 yard um, you know reception over the top there on him. Um, you know, I thought that you know he kind of sunk a little bit, and uh, you know, and, and the ball got thrown over the top. You saw that quite a bit. He's somebody who um, you know likes to take chances. He's a bit of a gambler, very aggressive. Um, you know, plays well over the top at times. You know, when he gets to the, um, you know, when when he's not the guy who's who's the primary cover man, um, if he's going to be the one who's going to be covering um, a, a receiver, I think those cover skills and that awareness is something that he really needs to work on. Um, but uh, Anthony Jennings, you know, to me, I thought he really helped himself in this game. Um, you know, showed his ability to get after the quarterback, and you know those eleven pass breakups. You know, reminds me of Uchenna Nwosu, who's playing for you know the Chargers. Um, you know, when when Nwosu was able to get off the edge there, um, you know, against the Ravens um, to clinch the victory in that wild card game, got around, was able to slap the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands and end that final drive. Um, you know, similar type of player in terms of that length. You know those long arms, the ability to time their jumps as well. Um, so not only you know able to get those strip sacks, but also being able to get the hands into into passing lanes. You know that's something that you know kind of jumped off the film a little bit and, and reminded me a little bit of uh, Uchenna and Wosu in that way. 
Um, it, you know, it looks all, all things, all signs show um, Anthony Jennings likely coming back. Hasn't announced yet. He still has another day. Um, but I, I think that would be beneficial for him, you know, especially when you're looking at this draft class um, at, at rush defenders, you know, some of the likes of, of Josh Allen, uh, Brian Burns, Ja'Kai Polite, um, even Chase Winovich. Um, when you look at some of those names, um, if I'm Anthony Jennings, if I want to be the number one guy, um, you know, I come back for my senior year and really, you know, hopefully stay healthy for the entire year, show that, you know, I can be durable and then be that guy for Alabama to affect every play coming off the edge. If he can do that, then I think he has a chance to be the, the top outside linebacker in next year's draft. Trayvon Mullen, uh, he was the defensive MVP in the national title game. 6'1", 195-pound junior. He has declared, um, you know, someone who, um, you know, has that size. He's physical with receivers, um, does a good job getting his hands on the receiver uh, right away, getting a jam off the line, um, does a good job redirecting um, receivers off the routes uh, quite a bit as well, closes quickly, um, shows excellent ball skills over the top, um, you know, and able to win some of those 50-50 balls. Um, you know, to me, um, you know, when you're looking at a guy at, at a guy who is as tall as he is, you know, he is six one, six two. Um, is he going to be able to sink those hips in, in coverage? And uh, you know, I thought that he's done a pretty good job. You know, overall, when you look at his stats, just four interceptions in in his three seasons there at Clemson, and just seven pass breakups. At the same time. You didn't see the ball thrown his way all that often. You know, a lot of the times it was thrown um, to AJ Terrell, um, who's only a sophomore. He'll be coming back, um, you know, next season. Um, but that's one of the things you didn't see a ton of, um, ton of the, that um, those plays on the football. And that's really the biggest concern that I have for for Trayvon Mullen. When you talk about some of those Clemson defensive backs, you know, I remember when McKenzie, uh, McKenzie Alexander was coming out, uh, no interceptions to his career. Uh, there for Clemson and, and that lack of ball skills you know is that going to translate at the next level are you suddenly going to see you know the the ball skills jump out and uh, you know to me you know I would have liked to have seen more plays on the football uh, you know obviously Mullen you know coming down the field um, you know really that that pr- completion percentage more than anything else and I think that's what the NFL teams are going to have to look at is um, you know the the percentage uh, of passes thrown his way the targets versus the actual completions and that's one of the things that he's able to do is is jam his receiver at the line redirect them and uh you know really affect that receiver um you know but can he make a play consistently on the football when it's when he's called upon to do that that's going to be the big question that i'll have for trayvon mullen so moving on from the national title game Let's see, who else can we talk about? Sam Ellinger of Texas. You know, can we officially talk about him as a, uh, a, a guy who could be a legitimate pro prospect, uh, leading Texas to a 28-21 win over Georgia? Um, you know, he was a guy who was just dynamic. You know, and I think that's one of the things that you talk about uh, quarterbacks. You know, team, his team really fed off of him as the game moved along and game progressed. And... Uh, you know, 64.3 completion percentage, uh, 25 touchdowns going into the game, just five interceptions, over 3,000 yards passing. You know, this guy is gritty. Um, he's very tough. And, uh, you know, he showed some good touch down the stretch as well, um, you know, getting the ball to, to Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey. Um, 
to me, he's he's a guy who's going to be fun to watch. He'll be back next year, possibly in that conversation with some of those other quarterbacks. Um, you know, uh, Elijah Holyfield, you know, is coming back. Uh, I'm sorry, he's not coming back. He's entering the draft. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, he just looked like a guy. You know, um, he wasn't the the type of guy that I was expecting. I was expecting to see more of that same physicality to him. You know, I saw a couple of runs where he was able to get the ball to the outside. But uh, I thought Texas did a really good job from a speed perspective, um, being able to to meet him in the holes, and really he was never able to get get going. Um, you know, when he's someone who gets downhill, um, didn't really get to see much of that in uh, in the bowl game there, uh, the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Charles Omenahu, though, defensive end, 6'6", 275 pounds, big guy. Um, there's a lot to like here with him. Um, Big 12 defensive lineman of the year, you know, definitely does a great job pursuing the ball well down the line against the run. Um, you know, read a screen coming his way, got off the right tackles block, got outside for tackle tackle for loss on uh, DeAndre Swift. Um, you know, someone who has excellent hands, you know, getting off the ball, quick first step, and uh, is able to use his hands getting off those blocks, fighting off of, uh, you know, the, the offensive tackles' hands, getting off of them, and then showing a, a bit of a burst. You know, he, he moves very well for a guy his size. I have him in my top 10 at defensive ends. Uh, actually moved him up to number five. Um, you know, I'm looking at, at Jalen Ferguson. I just watched him play uh, Louisiana, uh, play Hawaii in the Hawaii Bowl, and, and this this guy's a freak. Um, you know, he's someone I got to move him ahead of Charles Charles Amenahu. But look, you know, Amenahu to me is a first rounder. You know, if he falls to the second round, then someone's going to be very lucky getting him. He's someone who, who's again scheme versatile. He's got the size to be able to be a you know a five technique, but uh, he can also, like he did at Texas, be a, a four three. Um, three, four, kind of a hybrid guy. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what uh, what he can do. But definitely someone who was dynamic um, there for Texas, getting that win. Jalen Ferguson in that Hawaii Bowl. I mentioned him earlier. Six five, two hundred fifty five pounds. The sack daddy did it. Ultimately passing Terrell Suggs for number one on the all time sacks list in the FBS. Um, Forty uh, forty five sacks on the year. And this is someone, if you haven't gotten to watch him, you know, people are comparing him to Marcus Davenport. You know, Marcus Davenport of, of uh, UTSA ultimately entered the draft and was a high draft pick taken there by, um, the, you know, the New Orleans Saints. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, you know, in in other drafts, Jalen Ferguson would be talked about as a top top 10 to 15 pick, uh, much like Davenport was. But when you've got Bosa, Furl, Sweat, Gary sitting ahead of you at the defensive end position, along with Allen, Burns, and Polite um, at, at rush outside linebacker. Um, it, it's hard to make a name for yourself, but he's still a guy I think who will end up getting drafted somewhere in the in in those twenties, probably you know top twenty five. Um, I would say. What I was looking for with him was a little bit of polish. End of his junior year, kind of took a, a, a downturn a little bit, only seven and a half sacks. And, uh, you know, I saw a lot of arms flailing. When he was coming off the edge, it was one of those things to where I didn't see as much technique. I wanted to see, you know, some of the, the swim moves, the rips, um, being able to, to shoot inside. And, and really, it was, you know, he looked very raw. You know, you saw some of that raw power out of him. And, uh, you know, I think now he's kind of putting everything all together. 
you know, this is someone who uses his hands much better. I think he could still use some work with his hands, but much better with his hands, getting off blocks, um, the flexibility, able to bend and turn the corner. And whenever you can you know, reduce that surface area off the edge, um, you know, that's able to, to bend that corner in a hurry. You're talking about that flexibility. How quickly can you bend and get around that corner? Are you going to have to take a lot of false steps or can you turn that corner in a hurry? That's the difference between uh, a defensive end that you're taking in the first round and somebody who's going to be taken on, on day two or day three. And I, I think Jalen Ferguson has that. You know, what he really has that a lot of guys don't have, even in the first round, it, you know, are guys who, uh, you know, he's, he's someone who has a nonstop motor. He's always working to the quarterback, always working. He'll run past the quarterback and, and really work back up the field or, you know, to get to the quarterback who's, uh, you know, maybe stepping up in the pocket, you know, maybe trying to buy some time and you see him working back to get to the quarterback, maybe a quarterback rolling out. Uh, that was one of the things that he was able to do against Hawaii. Um, chase down, uh, you know, Cordero, the, the, the freshman quarterback, um, all the way from the backside, chase him all the way down to the sideline, able to drop him for a two-yard loss, get in a, a, you know, one of his two sacks that he needed to pass Suggs. Um, and then the power, you know, the speed to power, um, you know, not only is he quick off the ball, you know, um, but he uses that power. You know, that the power in his hands to jolt the defensive lineman off, off, uh, off balance, off the line, and then just drive him back into the backfield. You know, just the raw power. You know, he's burying guys and then able to get off of that and uh, and and drop the quarterback. You know, and and his ability to play inside and outside. You know, that's something too that uh, you know, I, I think is, is quite impressive being able to attack the quarterback not just off the edge but also being able to to use some of those secondary moves or be able to shoot inside you know they're you know when you're talking about a dynamic pass rusher you know is he someone who's just a one-trick pony coming off the edge um, you know can he beat you multiple ways with his hands can he beat you back inside and uh, you know for that ta- that offensive tackle is oversetting and you saw that in that Hawaii game you know if the tackle oversets, Jalen Ferguson is going to take advantage of it and shoot inside. And, uh, you know, that's something for me. Jalen Ferguson has to be my top five um, defensive ends. And I think, you know, he and Omenahu, you know, Rashawn Gary, Montez Sweat, uh, Cleveland Furl, Nick Bosa, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, if you're looking for a pass rusher, you're going to find one in this draft. Just like if you're looking for a defensive tackle, you're absolutely going to find one in this draft. This draft is loaded there with uh, defensive linemen. But you know what? It's also loaded at receiver. You know, when we first started the year, we were talking about how the receiver group um, was looking a little thin, at least you know, as a at the senior um, from a senior standpoint. And and I would still argue that you know it. It is somewhat weak overall um, as, you know, we're, we're looking at some of the senior class, um, you know, and where they're going to ultimately fall. Um, I think there's some depth there, you know, towards the end of day two and day three for the seniors. You know, the guys like uh, Anthony Johnson, Paris Campbell, David Sills, um, you know, to name a few. Uh, Andy Isabella is another one. Um, but the underclassmen really dominate that receiver position. Obviously, you have Nikhil Harry um, from Arizona State. He did not play in his bowl game, but one guy who did, and I think definitely helped himself, was Hakeem Butler. 6'6", 215 pounds. This junior, if you haven't gotten a chance to watch him, make sure you tune in and watch the Cyclones play. Um, you know, Find that bowl game, the Alamo Bowl against Washington State. They did go down to him, 28-26, but uh, you know, Butler... 
you know, if, if you've seen any of the highlights, you know, you might have seen uh, You've Got Mossed or some of the uh, uh, Sports Center um, top 10s with number 18 going up and high pointing balls over defenders. I talked about that game against Kansas where he went up, hauled in the pass, then took the, the, the safety, threw him down on the ground, and took off to the end zone. Um, you know, 22.1 yards per reception. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, a, a guy who is just big, he's physical and, um, you know, I'm looking for, what was it? It was 10 plays over 40 yards, uh, this season. I mean, when you talk about that, um, you know, he's definitely, you know, you're, you're dealing with the big play guy. Um, but what I thought was, was impressive is, is here's a guy who's six, six, you don't see a lot of those guys being able to get vertical down the football field. And he was able to do that. How quickly is he able to get in and out of his breaks? I thought that he does a pretty good job sinking his hips and, and getting out of his breaks. But, uh, you know, look, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this is someone who down the football field is able to attack the football in the air, you know, the body control able to go up went up and elevated and uh you know ball thrown back to the inside a poorly thrown ball by the freshman Brock Purdy able to leap up and uh extend his his hand make a one-handed reception um you know just the athleticism and, and the acrobatic you know the flair for the acrobatic um you know and the strength in his hands you know attacks attacks the ball in the air is not going to wait the ball for the ball to get to him or get into his body extends those arms catches the ball with his hands and uh when he Runs with the football after the catch. He's he's a, a load to bring down, and you saw that on display time and time again there against Washington State. And uh, to me, Hakeem Butler helped himself as much as any uh, receiver, um, you know, in this draft class. When you look at the draft class, Marquise Brown, you know, was slowed by by the the foot injury. Really wasn't much of a factor there against Alabama. Uh, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, both um, you know playing for Mississippi, uh, which was ineligible. Um, you know, Kelvin Harmon didn't play for NC State uh, in their bowl game. You know, so a lot of guys you know didn't really get a chance to help themselves. And I thought Hakeem Butler was the one that really emerged and somebody to really talk about. You know, Riley Ridley, um, you know, for the most part against Texas um, didn't really get get going. Um, you know, I thought Jake Fromm really was having having trouble um, with, with his accuracy and really making plays. Um, you know, when it, when it counted, you know, Riley Ridley, look, you know, Georgia with the way that that offense was run, you know, Ridley did, you know, catch the ball five times, you know, for 61 yards. He's very sudden out of his breaks. Um, you know, and also tough after the catch, um, you know, a, a guy who's, who's a tremendous route runner can get vertical, um, you know, reminds you a little bit of, of his brother, but Georgia with that offense, you know, they're built to run the football. Um, so he did just catch 43 balls for 50, uh, 559 yards, nine touchdowns. But he's someone to me who is it was a dynamic receiver, probably either end of round one, probably more likely day two. I think some of that production issue could potentially uh, hinder him. But uh, what I really want to see is is what can he do um, you know, in the, the the pre-draft process. You know, I think that's where he can really separate himself. Um, you know, when you look at at a guy like uh, like him, you know Odell Beckham Jr. You know, you, you talk about Odell, and uh, you know he he came entered the draft after his junior year. You know, just 59 receptions, but he still managed uh, 1,152 yards, um, and you know 19.5 yards per catch. You know, and eight touchdowns on the year. So when you're looking at him, even in an offense 
that was predicated on on running the football. When he got the football, he more than made made up for that. Now, obviously, you know, um, you know, Riley Ridley, you know, again, really, you know, kind of bound by the by the confines of an offense. But uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen him take more advantage of um, of the situations that he was put in. And and people will say, well, let me put on this game film and show you a particular route or particular play. And, you know, when you're talking about a lot of these athletes, you know, a lot of guys can make plays, you know, after the catch. A lot of guys can run routes, you know, can get their sink their hips and get in and out of breaks. But at the end of the day, when the lights are on are, are brightest, are they gonna be the guys who are gonna step up? And uh, you know, to me, Hakeem Butler day in, day out, yes, you know, he um, he was the guy that ever, that they were throwing the ball to, but you had David Montgomery in the backfield. And David Montgomery, when you're talking about the running back position, I thought he was one of the guys who definitely helped himself. When you watch him run, uh, the lateral quickness, um, you know, and his ability to just put his foot, you know, in the ground and, and, and make people miss, um, you know, he's patient, follows his blockers, the vision um, to see those cutback lanes. And uh, like I said, the ability to put his foot in the ground and uh, sink his hips and, and really shoot back and explode um, back in the other direction. Um, you, know, you saw that time and time again throughout the year, but it was also on display there against Washington State. They still went down uh, to the Cougs, but um, you know, David Montgomery, I thought, really stood out there to me in the bowl season. Um, you know, Travion Williams, can we please talk about Travion Williams? You know, I don't understand why he's not getting the hype that a lot of other running backs are. Um, I was looking at some of the um, pre-draft rankings from some uh, some of the other experts, and uh, you know, I, I wanted to see you know just really what what was I missing? Am I missing something here with Travion Williams? You know, he in the bowl game against NC State. Um, you know, a defense that you know is is solid against the run. You know, they're in, in the in the Gator Bowl, uh, rushed 19 times. You know, for let's see, what was that? 236 yards and, and three touchdowns. Um, you know, to me, Trevion Williams. You know, you, you see the, the 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 balance, the the change of direction. Um, you know, the, the the ability to to accelerate. Um, you know, the suddenness in and out of his cuts. Um, you know, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and, and make plays down the field. Um, he's a home run threat. You know, a lot of these guys that we're talking about in this draft aren't going to be your home run threat type of guy. And I think Travion Williams is one of those guys who's able to do that. He's 5'9", 200 pounds. Um, you know, finished the year with uh, over 1,700 yards on the ground and 18 touchdowns. Has 66 receptions in his career as well. Um, to me, Travion Williams is one of the better running backs in, in this year's draft. Um, you know, another guy that really isn't getting his just due, I don't think, is, is Daryl Henderson. You know, another guy, you know, who's 5'9", 200 pounds. He was 10th in the Heisman voting, um, you know, 1,909 yards, uh, 22 touchdowns, uh, 8.9 yards per carry, um, you know, 63 receptions in his career, um, you know, back-to-back 1,000-yard rusher, um, you know, and 8.9 yards per carry in each of his last two seasons. You know, is it is it Memphis's offense? Because, you know, a lot of running backs, you know, Tony Pollard, um, you know, Patrick Taylor, um, both had um, really good years there, um, you know, playing for Mike Norvell. But the thing for me with, with Daryl Henderson that makes him unique is his ability. He's a home run threat every time he gets the football. And he's a guy who can make plays um, every time you give him the ball. You know, he's he's patient. 
um, sets up his blockers well. Another guy who can put his foot in the ground and get north and south. Um, runs, you know, he's very powerfully built. Um, you know, can run through tackles, drives the pile, runs with the forward lean. Um, I think that explosiveness is something that is is a lot of fun to watch there for Daryl Henderson. I'm actually looking at my rankings, and I need to kind of move them around. I think Travion Williams, you know, I think offers a little bit more than than Daryl Henderson. I think you know just that versatility. Um, you want to see that. You know, Devin Singletary is another one. You know, Florida Atlantic didn't make it to a bowl game, but Devin Singletary is someone who's going to be moving up draft charts there um, as a running back. Um, out of Florida Internet, um, I'm sorry, for Florida Atlantic. Um, Benny Snell, Benjamin Snell, you know, 26 carries, 144 yards, two touchdowns, uh, and a win over Penn State, 27-24 in the Citrus Bowl. Uh, Benny Snell, um, to me, he's one of the one of the few running backs that you can look at in this draft and say he runs with attitude, runs with purpose, um, and, and just you know seems to. All he needs is a crease, and he's going to get downhill. He's more of a one-cut-and-go type of a guy. Um, but, you know, just give him a crease, and he's going to find it. You know, he's patient to allow it to develop, and then once it's there, he's going to put his foot in the ground and, and explode through the through that hole. Um, he's not the most shifty, um, you know, in space, but when you're talking about, you know, 800-plus yards after contact, um, you know, I think that's special. You know, um, being able to do that, that body control after taking the hit, the balance, you know, the low center of gravity to just keep going, to keep, you know, that forward lean and, and keep moving forward and not getting knocked back. Very rarely will you see Benny Snell get knocked back off the ball. Um, so I thought all of those running backs, you know, really helped themselves um, throughout the draft process, or I'm sorry, throughout the bowl season. Um, you know, obviously, you know, let's see, Josh Allen. Uh, there against against Penn State, I thought you know was was dominant. You know, four tackles on the day, three sacks, and and was just so quick into the backfield. You know, we there there was a play where he he ran by the quarterback. He was so quick into the backfield that he actually ran by him, stopped on a dime, got back to the quarterback, um, and was able to drop uh, Trace McSorley for um, you know for a snack. Uh, I'm sorry for the sack, um, but it was just one of those things. He just he ran by the right tackle. Uh, off the snap, got into the inside, and uh, you know ran by McSorley. Stops on a dime, no wasted effort, no wasted movement. Able to just plant, get back, and ultimately able to drop him for for a sack. I, I thought that was very impressive. Um, you know, looped inside, beat the left guard to, to sack the quarterback. Very quick hands um, to beat uh, beat the guard and the burst to close. You know that burst um, you know is is exceptional as well. Um, you know, to me. You know, Josh Allen is a top five pick. You know, when you're talking about you know the Oakland Raiders as an example, if I were them, I look at Josh Allen. If I'm if I'm happy with with Derek Carr, you know, and I know that there have been rumors that they may want to move on from Derek Carr, but if Josh Gruden, John Gruden is looking at um, you know Derek Carr and that's going to be his quarterback, then obviously you want to try to find that replacement for Khalil Mack. Josh Allen's going to be your guy. 6'5", 260 pounds. You look at his numbers, 88 tackles, 21 and a half for loss, 17 sacks, four uh, pass breakups, five forced fumbles. This guy does a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I, I always bring up that game against Texas A&M where uh, uh, Jay Sternberger ran a, a, a corner route towards the pylon, and there's 
none other than Josh Allen dropping back to get a hand in um, to knock that ball away. Um, so he, he's very versatile, the guy who's going to be on all three downs. He's not just a one-trick pony getting after the quarterback. Um, to me, if you're looking for that guy, um, you know, obviously Nick Bosa is likely going to be off the board. Um, but if they're looking for that guy you know, in, in Oakland to replace Khalil Mack, Josh Allen's got to be that guy for them. So let's see. Who else? You know, Chase Winovich. You know, I just got through watching, uh, you know, Michigan go down to to Florida. And uh, I'm looking for my notes on that. Got to flip through everything here to see if I can find it. But, you know, Chase Winovich, I've got to say, I'm more and more impressed with this guy. You know, this is someone who could have sat out the game and, and he chose not to. And really what he was saying was, look, you know, they kept saying throughout the broadcast, you've, you, you've got to kill me in order to keep me out of this game. You know, he was playing despite the fact that he needed surgery after the season, um, you know, for, for some of these injuries. And, and this was somebody, you know, especially, you know, in, in an age where there are so many players that are worried about their draft stock so they're not playing in the draft you know playing in the bowl game you know i can understand that that situation but when you look at chase winovich how can you not love uh a player with his mentality he wanted to get out there play one more time with his guys and i'll tell you what he was very impressive you know from um you know from from the opening whistle um until the end of the game the seven sacks i'm sorry seven tackles a sack three tackles for loss um, it was just somebody who plays with a nonstop motor, the excellent effort, um, always coming off the edge, relentless, um, working to the quarterback. You know, even if he's, he's stopped and stifled off of his initial rust, he's going to look for those secondary moves, get back inside, using a spin move whenever he can. Um, you know, does a great job pursuing the ball from the backside. To me, Chase Winovich could be a first-round pick. Um, I, I think when you look at all the talent that's in this draft, he's probably going to be a, a day two guy. I think also with the injuries, you know, um, is he a, uh, you know, are, are there durability concerns there? Obviously there's going to be some, but uh, depending on how he heals up uh, with the draft process, that's going to be the biggest thing. But, you know, he's somebody to me, whenever you put on the game film, he was the MVP, you know, for me, um, you know, um, for Michigan's defense. And uh, when they announced it at the end of the year that he was the the, the MVP, you know, it, it seemed like, uh, you know, the coaching staff and the players also agreed with that as well. Um, to me, I think Chase Winovich has a bright future. And, uh, you know, I thought he was someone who definitely stood out. But he wasn't the only one in that bowl game. Look, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, you know, when we're talking about the safeties, we're talking about Deontay Thompson, we're talking about Taylor Rapp, do-everything safety for Washington, Jonathan Abram out of Mississippi State, um, you know, the very physical, um, you know, player in the box, you know, needs a little bit of work and coverage. That's where Chauncey Gardner-Johnson could find his way, sneak his way up, maybe, uh, you know, ahead of Jonathan Abram when it's all said and done in this pre-draft process, because, you know, he showed the ability to, to drive down, um, get to the running back, you know, fill the hole and, and wrap up, um, between the tackles, was able to get outside and drop a running back in space, uh, as well. Um, did an excellent job. Um, picking off a pass, you know, he read, Read a throw deep up the seam, 
you know, was able to, to get back and and track the ball down. He really disguised the play, I thought, more than anything else. They they did a good job on the uh, on the the broadcast, you know, talking about how you know it was a single high safety look and you know, he was lined up over the slot and ultimately was able to, you know, turn, you know, get turned around and, and track that ball down on, on a post pass and uh, pick off the play. Um, you know, later on, you know, quarterback, you know, Shea Patterson staring down the receiver, uh, defensive tackle got his hand up, tipped the ball in the air. And of course, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, you know, in the right place at the right time, you know, able to pick the ball off in the air, stepped in front of Zach Gentry, picked it off. Returned at 30 yards for a touchdown. Uh, to me, he's somebody who you know can play in the box when you need to. He's going to play. You know, he's really the quarterback of the defense. You know, able to um, make make the right reads. You know, can can shoot into the backfield, blitzing the, the quarterback when need be as well. Um, to me, you know, when you're looking at that safety position, you're not just looking for a big hitter. You know, you're looking for someone who can affect, uh, you know, be a leader of that entire defense. You know, I think Deontay Thompson has shown that for for Alabama. Taylor Rapp has shown that as well at Washington, and uh, I think Chauncey Gardner, to me, um, I think that's where it kind of sets the tone above you know Jonathan Abram just a bit. I think Jonathan Jonathan Abram plays all over the field. You know, plays in the backfield primarily, and uh, is a big hitter on the outside. Um, you know. But I think in coverage, that's where he lacks, um, you know, some of those skills, and I, I think that's where it's going to kind of hurt him a little bit. He's more of a, a linebacker there, playing safety, and uh, so he's going to really have to show that, uh, you know, that tightness in his hips that he can actually uh, can actually turn with the receiver and 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 get into coverage. You know, that's really going to be one of the things that uh, you know you'll be looking at um, for him during this entire pre-draft process. You know, obviously it's just January and our draft isn't until April 25th in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so, you know, there's still some time to evaluate some of these players, um, but just something, you know, to keep in mind if you're if you're looking at Jonathan Abram. Getting back to that Alamo Bowl, you know, uh, you know we're talking about players that help themselves. You know, if you're looking at an offensive tackle, you know, I thought Andre Dillard definitely helped himself. You know, 6'5", 310 pounds, and you know, he was very light on his feet. You know, I thought he was very patient with his hands, um, you know, getting square with the defensive end, and then ultimately getting his hands into the lineman, was able to mirror, um, you know, both uh, Jaquan Bailey, you know, Matt Leo, um, you know, at will in that game, very effortless kick slide and, and that ability to mirror. I thought, you know, the footwork was exceptional bending at the knees. You know, that's one of the things that you really want to see. What are the hip flexibility? Is he able to actually sink down in his stance or is he going to be bending at the waist? And, uh, you really didn't see that out of Andre Dillard at all. I thought you saw some good power in his hands, some good punch. Uh, Matt Leo also tried a, tried a pretty good bull rush and, uh, he was able to shut that down able to, you know, um, anchor and, uh, you know, just really readjust his hands, anchor, and uh, was able to stifle that rush there by by Matt Leo. Um, so Andre Dillard, to me, when I'm looking at the offensive tackles, he definitely helped himself. And, uh, um, you know, Jonah Williams, obviously you have Greg Little there um, as a prototypical left tackle. Uh, Jawan Taylor, you know, a, a right tackle who I thought did very well, um, you know, going against Chase Winovich. When Chase was getting to the quarterback, he was lined up, 
you know, against Martez Ivy, who belongs inside at the next level, um, or Chase uh, was lining up at, uh, you know, lining up inside uh, against the guard. Did not really want, didn't really like rushing against Juwan Taylor because of his ability to kind of engulf him. And even when he did get by him on the edge, you know, Juwan Taylor did enough to recover and be able to take him up the field and away from the pocket. Um, so Juwan Taylor, to me, you know, when you're talking about running, um, the running game there for Florida, um, you know, I thought his power was was exceptional and really what you're looking for as you know in right tackle. Um, you know, so to me, he's the number one right tackle in this draft. Godney could just, you know, it's kind of a bull in a china shop there for, for West Virginia. Um, you know, I, I think he's, he's got the athleticism, you know, to be a, a left tackle at the next level. Could he move inside to guard? That's always a possibility as well. Um, you know, David Edwards, um, you know, six, seven, 305 pounds. Uh, the juniors declared, you know, he's a former tight end, um, struggles with, with some speed off the edge, but, Again, another right tackle who's going to um, be exceptional in the run game. You, know, you look at a guy like Rob Havenstein for the Rams, um, you know, going to be playing there in the NC, uh, NFC Championship against the Saints, and Havenstein was somebody who was a right tackle um, and really has, has developed into a pretty darn good right tackle there for the Rams. Um, you know, and he was someone who you knew right off the bat that he was going to be a right tackle. He struggled with a lot of the speed coming off the edge. Um, but to me, you know, as, as things have gone on, you know, you kind of know what you're going to expect. And he's actually worked on his footwork. He actually looks a lot smoother, um, you know, against pass rushes. And uh, ultimately, you know, was, was taken in the second round, uh, 57th overall by the Rams. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, uh, you know, David Edwards is a top 50 pick as well. But Andre Dillard for me comes in at number six, you know, a, a guy who I think can play left tackle. Um, I thought, you know, Max Sharping, you know, he played against, uh, played in uh, for NC State. Um, I, I thought that, you know, throughout the year, he only gave up one sack and I think just three pressures um, off the top of my head in the last three years um, for the Huskies. And, and the one this year was, was against AJ Epinesa, you know, with the speed. Um, but you know, very technical, technically sound uh, tackle. Some people are talking about kicking him out to guard. I really think he's a tackle at the next level. And somebody to really keep an eye on is, is Travon Tate as we go through this process. He's 6'4", 295 pounds, someone who doesn't have ideal length, could kick inside. Um, but for Memphis, this was a guy who, when you look at Daryl Henderson and the 1,909 yards, a big reason was running... Um, you know, on the left-hand side, you know, some of those reach blocks, um, you know, also being able to seal the de- the defensive end, um, you know, to the to the outside to allow him to cut off the blocks to the inside. You know, he was one of those guys who was really a lead blocker um, for Daryl Henderson, getting out in space, locating the linebacker, um, and not only locating him, but being able to. Um, you know, sustain that block and, and really being able to affect the play to spring Henderson for some of those big gains. To me, Trevin Tate is somebody that nobody's really talking about, and that's fine. I think he's he's just okay with that. Um, you know, it reminds me a little bit of a Kelvin Beecham, um, someone that nobody talked about that uh, you know now is is a left tackle in the league. And I go back to uh, something that Jeff Schwartz said on on Twitter. He was talking about a lot of guys with the the you know. Uh, short arm length 
And, you know, a lot of times we're looking at those guys and wanting them to be uh, moved inside to guard. But, you know, Beecham, Joe Thomas, there are a lot of guys that have shown that success. Isaiah Wynn uh, was taken in the first round by the Patriots. Obviously, he has the the injury that he's rehabbing. But, uh, you know, it, it's not taboo anymore to take one of those guys and put him at, at offensive tackle. So I think Trevin Tate is somebody to keep an eye out for. Um, someone who I think could surprise and end up being um, an offensive tackle at the next level. Let's see what else we have. Um, you know, Dax Raymond, you know, out of Utah State. Um, you know, just a big physical t- tight end. You know, and that was one of the things that I enjoyed watching for him was you know his receiving production was down this year, but did a tremendous job blocking, you know, as a blocking tight end. And you really saw him out on the perimeter, um, just clearing, clearing a path um, as a lead blocker for, for the running backs there for the Aggies. Um, I've actually moved him into my top six uh, at the tight end position. Um, you know, Albert o- o- Oe Boonham for Missouri has already said that he's uh, coming back to Columbia. I think that's really a good move for him. When you look at this, the tight end class, you know, I've got eight underclassmen. And for me, Oibunum would probably fall somewhere in the three, four, five range, which probably means that he's probably a, you know, second or third round pick. Um, you know, he's somebody that coming back, especially with Kelly Bryant there at the quarterback position, Derek Dooley's offense, you're going to feature the tight end. And uh, I think he could have a big year. Um, therefore Missouri and be one of the top tight ends in next year's draft. Same goes for TJ Hawkinson. Obviously Noah Fant is coming back, but the Mackey Award winner uh, Hawkinson coming back, um, I think if he were to come out, he'd probably be in my top three from a tight end perspective. Um, but with him coming coming back with Nate Stanley, um, no Noah Fant there in that offense, You know, I really want to see what he can do when he's the guy there at that tight end position for uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, you know, and he was somebody in the bowl game, didn't really see the ball thrown his way um, until the fourth quarter of the of the contest. And once he did that, he made his presence felt and uh, was really a, a difference maker, I thought, for um, for the Iowa Hawkeyes. You know, somebody who can catch the ball in space and, uh, and make plays down the football field. Also a tremendous blocker. Um, obviously, Noah Fance is a guy who has... Um, you know, four or five speed, but uh, not somebody who's going to um, you know, blow you away with his blocking. You know, I think that you know the blocking has a little bit, um, a little bit to go for him. But uh, you know, T.J. Hawkinson, I think, is a more polished uh, tight end, and so that's really one of the things for me that I'll be excited to see is is uh, you know what he does in uh, over the next season. Sorry, I'm flipping through my notes trying to figure out who else we have that I can talk about that really stood out for me. Um, obviously, Terrell Dodson um, for, for Texas A&M. The linebacker, nine tackles, a tackle for loss, and also had a pick six in the game. You know, One of those guys, you know, a chase linebacker, 6'2", 242 pounds. I think he was at his best, really spying on the quarterback and uh, really chasing down Ryan Finley whenever he decided to um, buy time or escape the pocket. Um, you know, on his his pick six, you know, really was a spy. And you know, reading the eyes of, of the quarterback, Ryan Finley really took him to the receiver, and uh, you know, um, play in the slot, jumped the route, and you know, was ultimately a pick six. I think for him, he's a guy. 
I've heard people talk about him in the third round. To me, you know, he's probably a late three, early four, uh, but definitely somebody who is going to, um, you know, start turning some heads. I think he's one of those athletic, um, athletic linebackers. And then Garrett Bradbury in that same game, uh, 6'3", 300 pounds. Um, that was the Gator Bowl, um, you know, against the Aggies. Um, he just showed that he was very quick laterally, you know, very athletic, um, gets to the, uh, the three technique in a hurry um, on his reach blocks, um, you know, quick to time to the, to the second level, um, you know, and, and really sustains his blocks to the whistle. You know, shows a little bit of a mean streak to him a little bit as well. Um, getting to, you know, block down on the defensive tackle, then able to pick up the linebacker in the hole. Um, you know, making blocks on multiple multiple defenders. Um, you know, time and time again, to me, I think he solidified himself as the number one center in the draft. And I'll tell you what, Eric McCoy, the, the center for the Aggies, he's coming out 6'4", 315 pounds, and you saw the athleticism here for him as well. Very quick pull, able to cut off the defensive end on a on a 17-yard touchdown by Trevion Williams up the middle. Um, you know, was really a, a lead blocker for a lot of the game. When he was pulling, you saw the athleticism, the agility to get out there, get out to the linebacker. Um, you know, I thought he was very athletic. Um, you know, very quick out of his stance. Um, and I keep looking at my notes. You know, he. he Time and time again, he was pulling and was getting out in front of the running back and making a play. Um, you know, solid knee bend as well, able to get under the defensive tackle pad level. You know, and he was he was going up against uh, you know some pretty good defensive tackles in there. Uh, you know, and Bradbury as well, going up against the likes of Dalen Mack. Um, so I thought both of those centers absolutely helped themselves. Um, Eric McCoy, right now, I have him penciled actually in at number three. I moved him ahead of Ross Pierschbacher. I thought Ross Pierschbacher um, struggled um, with, with Christian Wilkins, struggled with Albert Huggins, who filled in for for Dexter uh, Dexter Lawrence. Um, you know, so I've moved him to number four. Eric McCoy sitting at number three. Uh, Elton Jenkins uh, of Mississippi State there at number two. Another athletic uh, center um, with some some versatility, having played a, a you know multitude of other positions as well. Um, but you look at that offensive guard position. I mean, you look at a lot of these guys, you know, with the, the versatility. Cody Ford, to me, is is a guy who, he's a right tackle for Oklahoma. Um, 6'4", 338 pounds. And you saw him just dominate uh, some guys there for Bama. You saw him throughout the year, just so physical. Um, and, and a guy who I think when you put him inside, um, because of... Um, the lack of ideal length there at the tackle position. I think he'll be at his best inside where he can just be nasty and just be a road grader. You know, 21 starts there for the Sooners and, uh, you know, a guy who just was able to seal off, seal off the edge there for, for some of the running backs. And, uh, you know, was part of an offensive line that, you know, especially when you have Kyler Murray running around, making plays, buying time, um, basically kept that pocket clean and uh, didn't really get down the football field either, you know, where you can get yourself into trouble. Um, you know, he was he was basically the guy that was a standout there for a line who, who was voted the best offensive line in all of college football. Bobby Evans, on the other hand, he um, you know he did declare as well the left tackle. He's 6'5", 301 pounds. Um, you know, while I'm talking about OU, before I get back to the guards, um, you know, to me, you know, he, he's very athletic. But I thought that there were times where the footwork didn't always match up with the hands. I thought that got him into trouble at times. I thought he overset 
and, and allowed guys to get back to the inside. Um, you know, but there was also a lot of good, good game film as well. I thought that consistency was his biggest issue. Um, but you know, again, you know, being able to slide very well, being able to mirror, you know, the athleticism, does he have the power, um, you know, needed for the next level? He does definitely has the agility. And, uh, to me, he's somebody to keep an eye on. If he can kind of you know work on some of that strength and some of that power, um, he's someone who can move up draft charts because of that athleticism there at tackle. But let's get back to the guards. You know, uh, Teron Prescott at, out of NC State. Nobody really talking about this guy. You know, 6'5", 338 pounds, um, was a first-team All-American, and uh, you know, really a standout pro football focus. Had him rated among the top um, offensive guards. You know, Connor McGovern out of Penn State, guy who's played center and guard for uh, the Nittany Lions, 6'5", 323 pounds. Uh, Dalton Reisner out of Kansas State. He's he's a you know the the right tackle there um, for the the Wildcats, 6'5", 300 pounds. I think if you kick him inside to guard, you look at what Cody Cody Whitehair has been able to do. Um, I think Dalton Reisner can fall right in, into play, uh, much like Whitehair was um, is doing. Could be a day one starter for someone. Uh, Michael Dieter, look Wisconsin. You know, if you get one of those guys, you kick him inside to guard. You know, I think he can definitely be nasty in there. Um, I, you know, I thought that when he was playing left tackle for the Badgers, um, really out of his element, was struggling with a lot of uh, speed rushers. But uh, as a guard, you know, this is really in his wheelhouse. I thought that you know the um, the quickness. He's he's quicker than a lot of the defensive tackles inside. Um, you know, and really able to overpower some of those guys too. Um, you know, Chris Lindstrom. Boston College, 6'4", 310 pounds, athletic guard, um, you know, a guy who's also played tackle, um, but I think guard is going to be his home at the next level. Michael Jordan out of Ohio State, you know, 6'7", 315 pounds, he's been playing center for, for Ohio State. I mean, all that length, he's playing center. Um, I, I think you put him at, at guard, you know, which was really his his initial home there before they had to move him over to, center, to the center position. Um, I, I think he's another guy who's, um, you know, could potentially be a, you know, a, a day two pick. Um, Bo Benshaw, he was one of my favorites there. You know, I thought Wisconsin's offensive line kind of took a step back. Um, and he was somebody who was very inconsistent, you know, struggled a little bit with some of the quickness. Um, but uh, you know, definitely a guy with a lot of power, somebody who can pull and, and get into, into space. Um, Nate Herbig. Out of Stanford, 6'5", 334 pounds. Another guy who's who's uh, you know pretty nasty, and uh, you know on the inside. As is Tyler Bowling out of Tulsa. Nobody's talking about him either. 6'6", 327 pounds. Put on that Tulsa game against uh, against Houston, and uh, you'll see uh, Tyler Bowling you know doing a pretty darn good job. It's as good a job as I've seen any offensive lineman do against Ed Oliver. Um, you know Tyler Bowling, I thought more than held his own, and then uh, Drew Samia out of Oklahoma. A nasty, nasty offensive guard, um, 6'5", 303 pounds. Not the biggest guy in this group, but uh, definitely someone who who plays with a mean streak. Um, can lose his cool a little bit, kind of hot-headed. Um, got ejected from last year's um, regular season finale against West Virginia, but uh, definitely someone who I think can play at the next level. Um, you know, most of those guys, you know, played in the bowl games, and every single one of them played well. Um, so that's one of the things for me that uh, kind of stands out. You know, Drew Greer or Drew Locke and Ryan Finley chose to play in their bowl games. Will Greer did not. 
Um, you know, West Virginia against Syracuse really would have liked to have seen Will Greer play in that game. Um, but, you know, Drew Locke, Ryan Finley, kind of some mixed results, um, you know, in, in those games. Um, you know, Drew Locke trying to lead Missouri to a win over Oklahoma State. And, uh, you know, to me, Drew Locke, a lot of people talk about last season being a, a better year for him. I thought he was more efficient this year. Yes, he didn't lead the SEC in, in passing yards or touchdowns or what have you, but I thought he was a lot more efficient as a passer. You know, over 60% completion percentage um, on the year. And, and against Oklahoma State, um, you know, he did go 23 of 38, you know, 373 yards and, and three touchdowns, no picks. Um, but, you know, down the stretch when they, they needed him, um, You know, down 35 to 19, and uh, was able to to hit Jonathan Johnson, put it over the top to him, ultimately able to score on a on a 86 yard touchdown. Um, so, you know, he he did his part there. And, you know, I thought at the end of the day, um, you know, Oklahoma State um, did just enough. You know, against Mizzou and that that secondary of theirs. Um, you know, I thought Mizzou up front, their front seven. Um, you know, held their own. You know, I thought the secondary, the the corners and the, and the safeties were getting picked on a little bit. Um, you know, so Mizzou ultimately losing to uh, Oklahoma State. You know, thirty eight thirty three. Um, you know, but uh, in that game, you know, Jordan Brailford not much of a factor. He's coming out and entering the draft six three, two hundred fifty pounds. Uh, the sack leader there for Oklahoma State wasn't much of a factor. You know, and that's one of the things that concerns me about about him is is he going to be somebody who's going to be consistent? You know, he's one of those guys who quietly had a, a nine sack season. Um, you know, and somebody who I think you know has the get off, but you know there are because of his lack of ideal size, he's six three, two hundred fifty pounds. He'll probably have to play outside linebacker um, when it's all said and done. And you know, ten sacks on the year, seventeen tackles for loss. Um, really didn't get things going until this past season um, really somebody who I would have liked to have seen come back for one more year will dive more into uh, the underclassmen who uh, you know made the right decision coming out who uh, you know really were head scratchers guys that I would have liked to have seen come back um, for another year but uh, we talked about Drew Locke and then Ryan Finley going against NC State you know, obviously, you want to see him go up against top competition and top, top defenses whenever possible. And uh, you know, Ryan Finley in that game, you know, fourteen to twenty-eight for just one hundred and forty yards, a touchdown and an interception. You look at the stat line, and, and that really jumps out. Really a concern. You know, he started the game six of ten for for fifty-three yards and a touchdown. And uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think he. struggled with you know feeling the pocket you know the the, the pocket presence you know, I thought that he held on to the ball um, didn't really feel a defensive end closing in on him took a sack um you know and then obviously with the eye discipline you know somebody you know who you know with 39 career starts you know you would expect expect him to um you know make better reads and you know a lot of times he was taking defenders to the to the football 
um, you know, that, that lack of overall arm strength as well. You know, his game is the anticipation and, and getting the ball out quickly, um, the ball placement as well away from defenders. And uh, you know, if that eye, if those eyes are taking the defender, you know, he doesn't have the arm strength to to beat the the defender to the foot, you know, to the uh, to the ball. He doesn't have that. He doesn't. He's not able to fit that ball in the window. You know, it's all about you know out thinking the, the defender and getting the ball there before he he's able to do so able to make a play on it so um for me ryan finley i thought that you know that was a game that kind of took a step back on the flip side jared stidham you know i i think that was the reason why he came out you know honestly was was that bowl game um you know obviously auburn all over purdue 63 to 14 um in the in the music city bowl and uh you know really from from the opening bell um you know jared stidham came out came out swinging and uh it was 15 of of 21 you know for me he's somebody who you know from an accuracy standpoint makes a lot of poor decisions um you know can be very robotic at times and i thought he was making all the right throws was seeing the defense very well and uh, knew what to do with the football um, and I thought that was some, one of those things that, you know, it really helped him to have a game like this, you know, 373 yards and five touchdowns. And, uh, you know, his big play man was, was Darius, uh, Slayton, three receptions, 160 yards, three touchdowns on the year. You know, Darius Slayton's another guy who's coming out, um, you know, at, at the receiver position, uh, 35 receptions, 670 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, the big thing for him, 19.1 yards per reception. He's a big play guy. Would have liked to have seen him come back uh, for one more year, but I think both he and Jared Sidham looked at this game as kind of their exclamation point to their college career. Um, and it's kind of hard to, you know, where do you go from there? You know, where how do you then set the tone and say, okay, what was my 2019 going to look like? Um, you know, so I think that they just kind of used that punctuation point to uh, ultimately um, – decide to enter the draft and uh you know it'll be interesting to see what happens there in the pre-draft process you know but like i said from the quarterback position um daniel jones i've already said um that daniel jones had a had a tremendous bowl game and if i can find my notes here on on daniel jones and as I've said in, in my podcast, you know, I'm, I'm kind of old school when it comes to taking notes. I like to write things down. I think writing it down really helps it kind of sink in. You know, I think I, have, I do a better job of, of retaining the information, recalling uh, you know, what I've seen, um, if I'm actually putting pen to paper as opposed to typing things out. So bear with me here, but you know, Daniel Jones... You know, 59% completion percentage, a little bit of a concern. Um, but again, you know, was battling injury throughout the year, you know, and, and really was battling injury in this game. You know, that ankle injury was bothering him, had to come out for a time. Quentin Harris came in and uh, Daniel Jones getting back out onto the field. Very efficient, 30, 30 of 41 uh, for 423 yards, five touchdowns, did throw two picks. And those two, you know, obviously we're going to look at the touchdowns. We're going to look at... Uh, you know, some of the big playability is, a you know, the touch. You, know, you saw excellent touch, putting the ball, you know, over, uh, just right, dropping it in the bucket right over the receiver's shoulder um, where, you know, no defender is going to be able to make a play. Um, but, uh, yeah, some of the interceptions, you know, ruled, rolled out, you know, threw the ball late over the middle and ultimately got picked. 
and uh, you know some of those decisions you know just can't have that happen um, you know and there were times where he held on to the football a little bit too long and uh, you know and, and I think that's one of the things that uh, you know from a pocket presence standpoint you know what you know if you're if that clock is going off in your head you were the third leading rusher on that team and uh, they say he has four or five speed um, you know you want to be able to showcase that but uh, you know I, I thought for me you know his ability to read the defense. You know he'd see the blitz and throw where the where the the blitz was vacated, and uh, you know some of those hot routes. Being able to read defenses, um, you know pre snap, make the right read, you know make the right check at the line of scrimmage. You know I thought that was very impressive. You know the ball placement, the arm strength, being able to throw the ball to the wide side um, all of the field on a line, um, you know especially on those outbreaking routes. You know, that was evident. You know, the guy's a three-year starter, um, has an economics degree from, from Duke. Um, you know, to, to me, you know, Daniel Jones absolutely helped himself. Um, you know, 547 yards of total offense against North Carolina back in, uh, back in November. So, you know, he, he's, his best football is being played towards the end of the season. And I think that's one of the things for me, you know, that you really want to be able to, if you're, heading in that right direction and you're really building, you know, that's when, you know, I'd, I'd want to see somebody potentially, you know, enter the draft. You know, I think where you're having some of those question marks, you know, then, then that's where the issue is. I think for Jarrett Stidham, yes, he had the one game and had a, really a splash, but he's been inconsistent as, as things have been going on. And I think with Daniel Jones, for me, he's been continuing to get better and better and better as the season has progressed and, and outside of you know, a couple of mental issues, you know, mental errors, um, you know, I, I thought that he had a very, very impressive bowl game. And then obviously Dwayne Haskins. Oh man. You know, 25 or 37, you know, just 251 yards with three touchdowns on the day. And, uh, you know, this is a guy who, you know, makes the pre-snap checks, you know, and, and I, I thought that that was something that you didn't see him doing at the beginning of the season. He got much more comfortable being able to make the reads, um, understanding where to go with the football, um, you know, long throws across the field, hitting the open man in stride. Um, you know, the eye discipline um, I thought was, you know, was, was very good as well. Um, you know, the, the pocket presence, I thought that was one of the things, you know, holding on to the ball too long at times. Um yeah, and I I think you know being able to extend plays and being able to to take off you know when you when you need to um, being able to not necessarily run with the football but being able to um, sidestep the rush you know step up in the pocket when need be Aaron Rodgers is phenomenal at that and uh, you know that clock that goes off in his head feeling the rush and I think that's where a lot of these quarterbacks right now they're not able to do that on a consistent basis I think Kyler Murray does a great job of doing that I think Dwayne Haskins you see you know um you know he he and 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 Daniel Jones a little inconsistent there um in terms of, of feeling the pressure but uh you know to me you know I I don't think Dwayne Haskins did anything in the bowl game to hurt his draft stock to me right now um with this draft class as of right now with no uh kyler murray entering it he's clearly the the number one um 
he, he's clearly the uh, the number one quarterback. Now I think Daniel Jones sitting there at number two, and then you'll have the seniors battling it out for number three. I really think that Will Greer and Drew Locke have separated themselves as the um, three and four quarterbacks, uh, more than likely going to be second round picks. And then uh, you get into you know Jarrett Stidham and Ryan Finley with that lack of arm strength. You have the raw Tyree John, uh, Jackson, um, big kid. You know, coming back off of his knee injury, used to be more mobile and athletic. Um, you know, a, a rare talent, but very raw and not ready for for the big time just yet. So he's more of a developmental prospect. Uh, you have Clayton Thorson, very tough, 53 starts to his career, coming off of that knee injury. Um, you know, never really looked like himself. Another guy who's a mobile quarterback by nature. Um, you know, Trace McSorley, the Penn the Penn State quarterback. Um, you know, I, I thought this year, I thought, you know, from an accuracy standpoint, yes, he had a lot of drops, but I thought, you know, his decision making, you know, that might have factored into it a little bit. His accuracy was down. Um, and then how about North Dakota State? Yet again, they win the FCS. I think that's what their seventh title. And uh, Easton Stick, you know, he was the guy who took over for for Carson Wentz, if you'll remember, 6'2, 220 pounds. To me, Easton Stick, I haven't gotten a chance to break down the um, FCS um, semifinals and championship just yet, but I do want to talk more about Easton Stick because to me, I I have him in my top 10 uh, of quarterbacks. I have him ahead of the likes of of Brett Rippon, Jake Browning, etc. You know, I thought, you know, Rippon and Browning tried to do too much. You know, their lack of overall arm strength and, and athleticism, you know, that really came back to bite them, um, you know, down the stretch for, for both, uh, you know, the the Broncos and the Huskies. Um, Easton Stick, to me, I think is, is another Carson Wentz-type clone. Uh, makes the right decision, makes the right reads. Um, you know, they're a balanced offense, and so you're not going to see him put up some big numbers, but um, very decisive with this decision-making. Um, pretty strong arm as well. Um, so I'll be excited to break down some of that game footage, um, you know, see what he's able to do, um, especially against uh, Eastern Washington there in the finale. So I think we're going to go ahead and call it. We'll go ahead and say that that's a wrap to episode uh, 16. And, and once again, I, I do have to apologize. I uh, was not expecting this uh, Achilles injury. To, to take place um, but uh, next time you hear from me chances are I'll be in my walking boot um, so I'll be able to get get around and be a lot more mobile um, you know and I'm catching playing catch up a little bit with all of my game film but again we've got what four months before the draft so I've got plenty of time to go ahead and make up for that um, I am working on uh, getting to my my mock draft I, I put one out in January uh, last season um, we'll see because of this injury we may be looking at the beginning of February before I actually have um, my initial mock draft and if you'll recall Baker Mayfield was listed as my number one overall pick I did move it because I didn't think John Dorsey would actually pull the trigger as I've said time and time again and I try to sneak it in on any of my podcasts John Dorsey wanted to change that losing culture in Cleveland, and that's why I took Baker Mayfield. I was saying that time and time again, and that's really what I wanted to see. You know, obviously you've got Arizona, Cliff Kingsbury. What's going to happen there? 
you know, is he, if Kyler Murray comes out, there's video online all over the internet talking about how he would take Kyler Murray number one overall. Kyler Murray fits into his offense very well. Could you see him potentially trading, you know, would they trade Josh Rosen, uh, let's say, to the Giants for, for Odell Beckham Jr.? Or would they trade him to, uh, gosh, Pittsburgh, you know, if they're not happy with Mason Rudolph uh, for, you know, for Antonio Brown? Um, you know, find a receiver um, for your, your, uh, your quarterback now that Larry Fitzgerald is in the, you know, in the twilight of his career. Uh, you know, chances are that's probably not going to happen, you know, if, if, Cliff Kingsbury is smart. You get a pass rusher. You get Nick Bosa, a guy who can affect uh, affect every single play on the defensive side of the ball. You saw what Khalil Mack did to Chicago's defense. Khalil Mack changed you know, the outlook of, of Chicago's defense completely. And I thought that was that was all the difference in the world for them. So to me, I think Nick Bosa is a no-brainer there for the 49ers. I'm sorry, for the Cardinals. If I'm the 49ers, I'm looking at um, either getting a pass rusher. You know, Josh Allen could potentially be the guy. Oakland, I'm looking at you. You got you know all those uh, all those picks there. Um, but Quinn and Williams would definitely be a, a smart um, smart pick. Um, as would Josh Allen. So, you know, a lot of a lot of things to happen here over the next four weeks. You know, we have to get through some of the free agency and uh, see who's picking up to, to fill in some of those holes, who's getting released. Um, so all that game, it's a lot of fun to be able to sit there and really figure out who's who's the best fit for, for which franchise and, uh, you know, what are they looking for, who's it going to be, who's going to be the right fit. So that's something that we're going to be looking at over the next four, uh, four months. But... Like I said, um, the underclassmen have until tomorrow, I guess at this point, um, yeah, until tomorrow, until Monday, to ultimately make the decision as to you know, whether or not they want to declare. If they do have, do declare, the paperwork has to get into the league, and uh, you know we'll see if Kyler Murray ultimately decides to enter the draft, and uh, if there's anybody else who's making a decision you know, at the last minute to enter the draft. We'll take a look at the underclassmen in episode 17, really break down the underclassmen, and uh, from there we'll start talking about uh, the pre-draft process. We'll take a look at uh, East-West Shrine Bowl, and uh, then we'll get ready for the Senior Bowl before uh, we get into the Combine. So, hope everyone had a happy new year. 2019, hopefully everyone has um, has had a great week. And I look forward to bringing you another episode. And, uh, you know, stay safe, stay healthy, everyone. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Until then, this is Greg Schutz for ReadyForTheDraft.com and the Ready for the Draft podcast. And I am out of here. Take care, everyone.